ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello and welcome to another Books of the Year podcast from me and Matt. Yes, hello. Sick boy. You were at the last time we met, which was for the Ben McIntyre conversation, which was really good and I enjoyed very much, Uh apart from the fact that you were diseased. I I was, and I I can't help but feel that maybe some of those germs may have crossed the table into your nose. I don't know whether it's... Your germs or Joe Wiley's germs, but okay. be- between you, I never stood a chance. Basically, no. right? Oh dear! And you've been laid up in bed. Yeah. So you know, I've come in. So I apologise in advance for coughing. Uh huh. Because when uh, you're going to ask a very pithy question, and you're Graham Norton that- is oh. going to give a very lovely answer. I'm going to be the one going... <laughs> and, you've, and you've got that um, particular pill that we're not going to name anymore because they refuse to give us any kind of money despite us naming them quite a lot in one of our opening podcasts. That's right. Yeah. And if vocals don't think they're going to oh, get another mention... Dear, oh dear. ...having not sponsored us. Yes. Disgraceful. <clears throat> in fact, we mentioned a lot of people who don't sponsor yeah. us, don't we? Oh, Squarespace. Squarespace, where are you? <laughs> I mean, come on. We're like the desperate boy at the... Disco. Anyway, we have lots of lovely people who do sponsor yes. us, and we're very grateful yes, for that because that means everyone can get this for now. Correct. Yeah. Very happy. Anyway, how are you doing? I'm doing better Apart than you. That. I mean, I've, I think I'm at the tail end of it. I think everyone's had it, haven't they? Everyone's had this cold. So I'm at the tail end, and you're still sort of still wading through the weeds of it. Yeah. By the way, since last week, I was reading uh, a book. Oh, yes. Which is uh, Stories and Photographs, and I just want to mention it. It's called Sparks. Mm-hmm. Adventures in Street Photography by Stephen Leslie. Anyway, it's got it's some of the most beautiful photographs I've ever seen with some really fine writing. Okay, of what? Photographs of what? Stuff, people, just things. in general. Yes, okay. to go with the stories. Anyway, I just thought I mentioned okay, it. Okay, good. So, Angie Cusk. Yes. Got in touch with the show. Uh, Graham Norton coming up, by the way, very shortly. This is a Books of the Year podcast with our friends at WH Smith. It is, yeah. We should have probably mentioned that at the top. But, uh, you know, okay, here we go with another even grander opening. <laughs> it's a Books of the Year podcast with our friends at WH Smith. There you go. Who have now found some stickers. Yes, they have. Which uh, we, we were waiting those for, for those for a while, but they are now in your stores. And uh, we tweeted out a picture of, uh, of said stickers on books. And bizarrely, on one of their shelves, the Ben McIntyre book was at £1.8 off and right next to it, another one for £7 off. Well, it's difficult to know which one to go for. Indeed. Uh, David Fitzgerald <coughs> tweeted back, if you see a sticker that states £7 off, it means I'm compromised. Well done, David. Yes. You get Tweet of the Week. So so that's very good anyway. So uh, send us photos. If you see uh, some of our books with stickers on, send us photographs. Yes. Because you can tweet us at Books of the Year. Yeah. And you can email at Books of the Year at yahoo.com. Absolutely. Probably buy the book as well, because then maybe W.H. Smith might, yeah. you know... 
carry on this. Anyway, Angie says, I was absolutely engrossed by this episode and I'm not normally interested in the world of spies. Luckily, I doubt whether they're interested in me either, but I found I was completely consumed by the stories Ben was telling. Fascinating stuff. Love your podcast, guys. Thank you. Well... Thank you, Angie. Thank you. you. Uh, Matt Dawes emailed to say, uh, Dear Simon and Matt, it's great that you're doing a show together again. It is. I I look forward to listening to the Books of the Year podcast every week whilst driving to work. It's my favourite show. Keep up the great work. Also, I am a teacher. So, any chance of doing a show for primary age kids now and again where you chat to some popular children's authors? I try lots of ways to get them to read more as we battle against Xboxes. So, a podcast would be great. We could listen to it during our lunchtime audio book club to enthuse their next choice of books as Matt Dawes. So the good news is we've got Dermot O'Leary and Chris Riddell coming up very soon. And is that Dermot have... O'Leary off the radio yeah, and yeah, television? Him. Yes, I know him. I mean, yes. He's everywhere, isn't he? Has is, is he yes. written another cat book? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's something to do with ninjas. He's very good, though. Yeah, very funny. Nigel Winter. Uh, Simon and Matt, thank you so much for making Books of the Year. The podcast is like a warm and cosy fireplace to my whole being on a cold Austrian autumn night. Wow. Did I hear you say at some point that the Ian Rankin is coming oh, yeah. to visit? It's true. Because that sounds almost too remarkable to be true. I read my first Rankin book this summer in early June. I found a vintage copy of the Rebus novel Strip Jack. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. In a bookshop in Vienna and thought it might entertain me during the upcoming vacation. Well, it did. And the rest is history. Now, three months later, I'm a collector and have already read my way through six other Rebus books. I do have a love-hate relationship with the character of John Rebus as I sometimes think he goes too far. Hmm. As in down the road of vigilantism, like in Mortal Causes. That said, however, I am addicted. I now even have a private room in my bookshelf dedicated to Rankin and Rebus. Wow. A private room? Entirely? Wow. Okay. Very nice. Unusual. (laughs) Anyway, I suppose there is... I'm not saying there's anything... (laughs) No, we're not saying that. Anyway, I I suppose (laughs) there isn't much point to this email rather than giving you two praise and telling you how excited I am about hearing Ian Rankin is going to visit. And could you maybe touch him and tell me how it was? Okay. That might be a bit weird. Uh, seeing as I'll be praising him to the skies anyway. Yeah. Um, now, you might remember... Ju- I've touched him in the past. Have you? As in shaking his well, hair. Well, I think we I've done that as well, so well done. Uh, you might remember we had um, someone asking about whether they remember a book involving that bloke off the road... <coughs> excuse me, off the oh, road no, you sign. start. I know, just as bad. June Noonan tweeted us at, at Books of the Year, saying, I'm sure dozens will have got there first, but I believe the series your correspondent is struggling to remember is Roddy the Roadman, which I remember getting out of the library in the late 80s or early 90s. Um, Claire uh, also says, just listened to the latest podcast, thought I'd let you know the children's books where the road size came to life are the Roddy series by Phyllis Arkell. Have you been smoking again? Goodness me, I'm getting as bad as you. Maybe those germs are rebounding over the table. Helen Perchard, yes, I think the books that Paul's asking about is a series of six books by Phyllis Arkell. Uh, I love these books too. There's Roddy the Roadman, Roddy on the Motorway, Roddy on the Canal, Uh Roddy and the Rustlers, Roddy and the Puma, Roddy on the Miniature Railway. Now you could just make things up. Roddy and the Puma, really? I mean, you know, the first few sort of make sense, but Roddy and the Puma. Thanks, Helen Perchard, who's in Jersey. Now, here's an email from uh, Rachel that says, Simon and Matt, oh, dear, dear Matt, I hope you're feeling better. You did sound dreadful. I did. Maybe you should have asked for a note from your mum to miss the last show. If, if only you had, it would if have been it, yeah, easier for yeah, me. Yeah. I had to smirk when I heard that Graham Norton is to be feature, featured on the next pod. 
As before he became a successful author, he played a trail for your next book club on drive time and then made fun of the fact that you both always loved all the books <laughs> and it was praise all the way. You'll have to ask him some tough questions yeah. in retribution. I missed, your, I missed you interviewing him about his first book and haven't read it yet since I lent it to my poorly mother-in-law first. Then I think she gave it away to someone else and swore she'd never had it. <laughs> Uh, oh, well, I look forward to hearing what he has to say. I don't think I've ever heard him being interviewed. Okay, well, hello, Graham. Hello. <laughs> yes. The bar is high. Yeah, praise <laughs> to the skies. Yeah, you, and you did do that, didn't you? You did you say. You know, I used, I, I used to. Uh, yeah, because, but also the thing is, well, it, it's a book club, so you choose books, presumably, yes. that uh-huh. you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but yes. And, but occasionally, occasionally there'd be someone on the phone who didn't love the book. Yeah, and, that was true. That was yeah. true. Occasionally that did happen. But you're right. Essentially, you the whole point of doing a book club is you get rid of the rubbish and you don't so you don't feature them. So the only stuff you have on is first class material. Yeah. And equally though, there will be people who then don't like it. You know, when you look at uh, an, you know, some incredibly successful book, if you look at the reviews online, there'll be sort of, you know, I don't know, 9,000 five-star reviews, but there will be 400 one-star reviews. And they're not all cranks. Some of them are. Some of them are just being a bit antsy and difficult. But a lot of those people just didn't get on with the book, just didn't like it. And I think reading, of all the kind of entertainments there are, reading is the most subjective because you're doing it completely alone. Graham's new book is A Keeper. Uh, Matt, do you want to describe the cover here? Okay, the reason I really like this cover is this is one of those covers where it doesn't quite make sense when you first start reading the book, what's this cover all about? But it does as you delve deeper and deeper. So this is a completely red cover and we've got nine white trees and these trees are either with apples on them or they are completely bare or one of them in the centre is on fire. And that will make sense when you read the book. And there it is. The truth has deep roots. A keeper, Graham Norton, in big, bold gold. Now, I remember when we spoke to you uh, for your last book, for Holding, and I asked you about what you were going to do next. You were going to carry on writing. And you genuinely sounded as though you weren't sure, that you were really pleased with the book and everybody loved the book and it got a fantastic reception. But you didn't sound as though you'd got the bug necessarily but I wonder actually whether you were just spinning a yarn there or whether you were always planning to keep on going Um, I think the plan was to keep on going but I wasn't sure if I could you know because you've got like everyone's got a book in them what if that was mine (laughs) what if that was mine (laughs) Uh, so I uh, but I did want to write again and I had really enjoyed the process of writing holding but there is a thing when you you know when you hold the book at the end of the thing you go well I've done that now is that that itch scratched and it turns out no I enjoyed this one I would say more in a way because I think with the first one I I felt sort of self-conscious I suppose writing it and I had to be I felt I was you know I was coloring inside the lines a bit it was a careful book whereas this I think is a more confident book there's room for more kind of eccentricity and oddness and kind of an Irishness that I didn't feel confident enough to put in the first one and did you feel also having written memoirs and told your story and all that that that, because that was out there that you were free to kind of be a different person or be a this is the book you genuinely wanted to write because you didn't have to conform to some uh, pre-thought version of what a Graham Norton book would be like well, certainly, I think, in a way, I think because I'd written memoirs, you're sort of forced 
into this world of, you know, complete fiction. Uh, you know, most people's debut novel is a coming-of-age story or a thinly disguised autobiographical thing. I didn't have... I couldn't do that. I had to make up something. And also, I wanted to remove myself from it as much as possible because, you know, that's that... Uh, I hate, you know, to describe myself as a celebrity author, but I said, you know, I am known and people are going to, you know, maybe buy a book because my name's on it. But after that, you don't want to read it over their shoulder. You want to you want to get out of town as much as possible and leave them with the characters, leave them with the world. So tell us about the world uh, of A Keeper. Where are we with this? Uh, there's two. Uh, it's all set in Ireland. Uh, one timeline is the 1970s and one timeline is now. And we begin it with now with Elizabeth Keane coming back. She lives in New York. She you know, and there, I suppose she does reflect me, you know, she got out of town as quickly as possible. And she's ended up in New York, she's teaching, and she's a failed marriage, she has a teenage son, and she's coming back to empty out her mother's house. And the idea is she just comes back, packs this thing up, and then really, will she ever come back to Bancara? Probably not. Anyway, she's back, packing up the house. She doesn't know. She, she There was kind of a mystery surrounding her father. And when she was packing up the house, she finds these love letters, essentially, from her father to her mother. And, uh, and that sets her on this kind of trail of discovery. Meanwhile, what did happen, what actually happened in the past, is told in the other timeline about Patricia, who puts an ad in a Lonely Hearts uh, uh, in the Irish Farmer's Journal, which is a real thing. The getting in touch column in the Irish Farmer's Journal was a real thing. And if you want to laugh, do look it up online. There are some brilliant... brilliant... So that's still going? I'm not sure. I think the old internet might have killed okay. uh, getting in touch. But uh, they all began with, you know, TT Farmer. And, you know, English people were like, what's a TT Farmer? Teetotal. Oh. So, uh, you know, so if you're teetotal and you've got land, you're a winner. Oh, I mean, that's, yes. a, that's a catch. <laughs> so that, that and, and in fact, the, the, the twist in the book about how the, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a twist in the book about the letters. And that is a story my mother told me that happened to the daughter of a friend of hers. That bit's true. So, so can, uh, right, because I was going to ask you about the, the story that your mother told you, but you can't really tell us what no. the story is that yeah. your mother told but you. That's, because... but, that, but, but the <laughs> thing about the letters, really? where you kind of think, really? Yeah, because I didn't that's, see that coming at all. That's true. That's true. Goodness me. Yeah. And actually, what's odd about it is, because in the book, that doesn't, it sort of doesn't need to happen, <laughs> that twist. It's a good twist. Yes, it is. But what happens next could still happen, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll hook people in with this because what's, what's fascinating about it is that even though on the one hand it's a gentle thing it's also a traumatising event and it does indeed traumatise Patricia it, gets, it does go to dark places but I think uh, it's still you know in, in my mind it was still very much uh, it, you know it had to be an entertaining read. So it goes to a sort of, I would say, diet gothic, uh, gothic light uh, place rather than an actual dark, brutal place. Um, you know, if, if you were going to, uh, you know, take this to maybe where it could go, it would go to really horrible places that you wouldn't want to read about and things happen that you kind of think, why am I spending time in this book? This yeah. is vile. Um, whereas I think this, I hope I stay on the right line of, of that that thing. I love this, um, the, the idea of the, the, the device rather of the Lonely Hearts ad because um, obviously it's been used in movies, it's been used in, in plenty of books, but 
the more I thought about it, the more I realised this is there is so much contained within this where, bluntly, you are not selling a wheelbarrow when you go in these classifieds. You're not selling something that, you know, you are putting yourself out there and you are taking an an enormous risk, as does the central character here, by I'm going to respond to this, I'm going to put myself out there. And was was that something that you were thinking of? I mean, you you mentioned that the, the Lonely Hearts ad twist was based on a real event, which strikes me as something where you think that is too good to miss out. I will definitely want to use that. Yeah, that was in, in a book. Uh, yeah, all, all summer was I was listening to my mother going, what else have you got? What Abs- else have you got? <laughs> absolutely. But the the device of the Lonely Hearts ad, is that, is that something that you thought, yes, there is something in this that's so deeply tragic and vital for the people who, who use it? Well, I think because it's about, I mean, the word, I mean, it's so sad, isn't it? The word lonely is in the mm, title yeah. of what they are. And Patricia, at that point in her life, you know, she was defined, she was fixed because uh, her mother had become ill right you know, when she was sort of 17, 18 and she was the girl, she was the carer and so now she's 32, the mother's dead and she's essentially you know, on the shelf, she's been that's her role in life is to be the spinster aunt, the spinster sister. What a terrible word that is I know. Spinster. Yeah. But that, but a that's... bachelor is still kind of, hey, <laughs> yeah. <woo. laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no merry spinster. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but she, and what I like about her is she thinks, no, actually, no, I'm going to do something mm-hmm. about this. I'm going to kickstart my life. I'm 32, but I'm going to start again. And, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then it was a mistake. She should have yes. just. She should have just been happy being a spinster. Uh, but I like. I like her get up and go. That because you're right. There is something. It's incredibly brave. Mm, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, placing those ads is brave. Responding to those ads is brave because there's a level of trust. In, I mean, and that's the same for all dating. You know, dating now there is a huge amount of. Trust and but you are putting it into a, a newspaper that your friends are going to read, that um, other people in the village are going to read, and it's a, as you say, it's that trust, it's that big gamble by the person, and, yeah. and you think that what a great dramatic vice that that, that is. Um, oh, well, I, I think so. I mean, I think it's what's what's good is that you know because she is you know she's not. Uh, a, a wild, a wild out there character, you know, like a friend Rosemary is, is, you know, much braver. And yet she's the one who ends up uh, alone. But um, but Patricia, no, she wants to do something about it. And uh, and back then, that was it. There were other things you could do through the church. And I was going to do that. And then I just thought, oh, that's quite complicated because you've got to go into all the, you know, the rigmarole of the clergy and da 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 da, da. And I thought that takes you to different places. Yeah. So I just thought Irish Farmer's Journal, much simpler. And I guess when there have been books about the 1970s in the UK, it feels old. It feels many decades away, obviously. But there is something about... 1970s rural Ireland, which feels even further away. And obviously, Ireland has changed incredibly and very, very fast. But you're taking us... But it doesn't feel like the 1970s. You know, it feels like the 1940s or the 1930s. Yes, really. it really does. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. And I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what it, it, it felt like. Um, it, it, it did just... It, 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 Bits of Ireland got left behind. I mean, really left behind. Uh, you know, the electrification scheme. You know, the, my mother remembers electricity coming to to towns and villages and things. And you know, I'm a bit older, older or younger than that. Um, but I remember 
you know, the way that people would live. I'd go to my fa- my father's uh, village where he grew up, Carnew, and we'd visit people. And it it was like we were in a th- you know some sort of you know folk park. <laughs> you know, uh, you know my, oh, that wow. was you know my my mom and dad. They, that was always the thing when we were abroad. We go to museums, and they go, but we had one of them. <laughs> uh, so yes, it, 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 you know, I. And what's good is, for me personally, is I feel a bit kind of vindicated by the response of people in Ireland to this book and the last book. Because I I did worry because, you know, although I spent a lot of time there, I haven't lived there since the early 80s. And so I thought, oh, you know, I hope I'm getting this right. This is how I remember it. But I think I'm getting it right. And what's great is that the the book has been so embraced by uh, Ireland that Clearly, they recognised it as an authentic picture of Ireland in the 70s. We'll talk more with Graham Norton uh, and his book, A Keeper. This is Books of the Year. More in just a moment. This is Books of the Year and A Keeper by Graham Norton uh, is our choice. And what an extraordinary book it is. We were just talking about uh, the changes uh, in Ireland, all of which, in pertaining to your story, Graham, makes Patricia, uh, her isolation... As a single parent, I mean, it's tough any time, but in 70s rural island, boy, that's tough. It is tough, but I think what's interesting is Elizabeth, who comes back now, you know, having left in sort of the late 80s, uh, that she she's missed all the changes. So she thinks she's coming back to one Ireland where, you know, she's so embarrassed about her broken up marriage and, you know, her parenting skills and all those things. And she finds, when she comes back to Ireland, she finds actually it has changed. It's not the Ireland she left. Um, And that's certainly my experience of going back now that, you know, uh, I, I left a particular country and that country isn't there anymore, you know, and hoopla hooray but uh, yeah it's a very different place now and also there's that sort of small town element I remember we sort of discussed this when you came in um, to the book club to talk about holding and there there are two sides to this one is the sort of the thing that Elizabeth recognises straight away when she comes back which is this sort of claustrophobic element where everyone knows everyone else and everyone knows everyone else's business so if there's gossip going round it will go round like wildfire because everyone knows but the the flip side to that is this um, this human contact, which Elizabeth, having come from New York, where there have been things going on with her son, which she's completely missed, completely passed her by, which you the, the sense I got was that would not have happened if she was in this small town. She would have picked up on that because someone would have said, "This yeah. is what's going on with your son." That's a really interesting point. You're right. It, you know, she would have known what was going on if she was living in Moncara. I, I remember I was doing a. Uh, an event in Bantry in West Cork and uh, with a young people's group and uh, they were asking questions and I was trying to answer them and uh, this girl put up her hand and she went, what's it like being famous? And I was like, well, how do you answer that? Like, that's a weird question. And then it suddenly came to me, what is like being famous is like living in Bantry. <laughs> where everyone knows you, yeah, yeah. everyone knows your business, and there's a lot of people you want to avoid in the supermarket. <laughs> um, that's what it's like being famous. And, and I think that's why I like Bantry, because I have, you know, I'm Graham off the telly, but uh, but that's just a slightly more exotic job. That's, uh, you know, Marie, who does the cash desk in the butchers. Mm. That's Pat, who works in the post office. That's a, So there's a, a level of connection. Whereas if you're famous walking down, Pat, um, you know, Oxford Street, then that's a freaky thing. 
Uh, John Boyne was on the, the pod just a, a few weeks back uh, talking about his latest book, and he uh, thinks this is one of his favourite books of the year. Wow. Um, and he he said in a, in a review of, of, of your last book that you were wasted on television, which might speak to what he, the kind of things, I think he watches a lot of television. Um, but, it's an, but it was an interesting thought. You know, he, abs- he thinks this is better than holding, and he thinks at the end of the year this will be one of his favourites. And I just wonder whether it, it makes you, the, the extent to which you've enjoyed writing this, you have read the kind of response and the reviews. You're thinking, well, I know I'm Graham off the telly, as you just mentioned, but maybe I'm also Graham who writes novels and actually is having a really good time about it. Maybe that's going to be more of the next 10 years of your life. Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, what... <sighs> But I can't ignore the fact that being Graham off the telly makes writing these novels a much more pleasant experience. I am so aware, you know, friends of mine who have written two or three books and still, you know, they're still looking for an agent, they're still looking for a publisher. It's grim. Uh, However much you love writing, I mean... Trying to be a published author, trying to make your living as an author is a very, very, very tough business. So I, I'm i aware of how annoying uh, listening to this must be. <laughs> Think, smug <Yeah>. little git. <laughs> when, I, um, when, I, when I wrote the first, first book I did, I actually wrote an email to uh, Anthony Horowitz, who's coming on the show but, um, very, very soon, sort of apologising because we'd had conversations in the past about, don't you hate celebrity authors? Oh, yes. Yeah. They muscle in here, they take the contracts away. You know, and then I said, can I just <laughs> say I'm about to do the same thing? But Simon, have you found that, um, actually, I think writers are incredibly generous. Yes. If, 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 well, they are if to John my face. Boyne, no, John Boyne, if John Boyne um, set up a, a chat show, I'm not sure I'd be so nice about it. <laughs> I don't think I'd be going, my favourite chat show on television. I, I... I know. No you're, no, you're right. They have been apparently very, very, <laughs> very welcoming uh, and supportive. Um, <clears throat> listen, I know you've got to go, Graham. I just want to, I want to read you uh, an email. One of the things that we try to encourage is not just talking uh, to uh, successful authors and up-and-coming authors, is saying to teachers and parents, if you come across a piece of writing that you think we should know about, send it in. And and we uh, and we got this, and I just think it's remarkable. So I just thought I'd read it to you because also because you, you write your kind of agony column in the Telegraph, you you know have a, a wide remit really in terms of things that you're interested about. So this comes from Katie Limpkin, who says, "My son Alex is 11 years old and was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, severe at three. He was non-verbal until he was five, but he went to a mainstream school and had full support. He has worked extremely hard to overcome his emotional difficulties, but still very much struggles to explain or understand his emotions. He, his old school, and us, his parents, have worked very hard to get him to be able to function in society, and he is now classed as high-functioning ASD. He's pretty much a mini Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. He recently started at grammar school, and his first English assignment was to write a poem in the style of a Russian doll. Each stanza was to describe a different part of his personality and feelings. Unaided, he wrote this poem and asked me, his mother, to read it to see if it was good enough. I cried. I have never in 11 years been able to access what he thinks about himself, how he feels about himself, and whether he was capable of self-evaluation. To think that he is the same child a mere eight years ago 
who's diagnosed as severely autistic, who didn't have the sense of self as a separate entity to me, to even tell me he had a good day at school is incredible. The child who was briefly bullied with bad language and names, whose only problem with the bullying was to be distraught that the words he had been called were not in the dictionary, the progress is amazing. He's the second oldest of five children, one sister and three brothers below. And this is what he wrote from Alex, aged 11. The outside me is all you see. The messy brown hair, the short bitten nails, the odd socks. And I don't care what I wear, me. But inside, there is a furious me. A fuming monster, constantly raging. Uh, This punishment is too severe, me. Deeper inside is the comical me. The class joker, filled to the brim with one-liners. The one never seen. And I will never run out of puns, me. And inside... There is a worried me, fearing the human's demise too soon. Uh, The world might end soon, me. But deepest down, the hidden one, uh, can I go back to when I was six, me. The hider, always inside me. Written by Alex Limpkin, aged 11. Anyway, I just thought, first of all, I wanted to say, uh, Alex, that's amazing. Katie, thank you very much indeed for sending it in. But I thought also you might appreciate hearing it, Graham. Yeah, no, it's... And it... What I love about that is the power of writing, that you could talk to Alex, you could sit in a room with him for so long and you're never going to get that. Mm. It was about being able to sit down with words and in a considered way. You know, he, it, wasn't, it wasn't the for, you know, being forced to come up with uh, a sentence or to say something or describe something. It was, it was that joy of writing, that it's, yeah. it's precisely what he wanted to say and he communicated it so brilliantly. Uh, Katie, thanks for sending it in. Alex, thanks for writing it. You can get in touch at any time, booksoftheyear at yahoo.com. So I imagine you're going to keep writing, Graham. Um, I hope so. Uh, you know, every time you finish a book, you kind of think, oh, is that it? <laughs> has, the, has the story well run dry? But uh, I will be seeing my mother at Christmas. So, uh, so I'll be waterboarding her at Christmas to get more stories. <laughs> Uh, Graham Norton, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Well, that was fine time that we spent with Graham. And it if, was. If yeah. you watch his TV show this weekend and he's coming down with a terrible cold and he's just having <laughs> cough all the way through, you'll know precisely where he got it. And uh, so thanks to Graham for coming in. Uh, a Keeper is a very, very fine book indeed. You can get in touch. You can tweet us at Books of the Year. You can email uh, Books of the Year at yahoo.com. And we did, uh, we did a poll about possibly doing some live shows where you too can get ill. Yes, come um, along, share our germs. Because we're going to incubate our illness and then yes. and then spread it around. <laughs> um, we asked, would you be interested in attending a live Books of the Year podcast event uh, with me and you uh, and a couple of decent authors? 52% of you said, yes, please, sounds lovely. 10% said, not bloody likely. Thanks very much. 31% said, if it's not in London, yes. Okay. But that doesn't help a lot of people, you know. So there's a big difference in Inverness and, yes. uh, I don't know, Southampton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 7% said depends on the authors. Okay, so basically 7% of people are saying you two aren't the draw. Correct. You're not, well, not going to be the ones I want to see, bluntly. That's a bit like, you know, in the 70s, the Radio 1 Roadshow was enough. You could, you'd turn up, whoever was, it would just be, who's, oh, the, yeah, that's who's true. the DJ? Oh, yes. it's Paul Burnett. Let's go and see that. Okay, you know, he's, yeah. he's doing the show. But by the time we got to the 90s, it was like, oh, it's the Roadshow again. Who's, who's appearing? I don't know, it's Bross. Oh, okay, well, not in the 90s, it wouldn't be. No, yeah. fun starts at 10. Yeah. Live at 11. Anyway, all that kind of stuff. So we've got to turn up with some decent authors. 
Anyway, so it's an ongoing thought. We would like to bring this show uh, to a, a, you know, a village hall near you, uh, and uh, we'll keep working on that. Well, uh, on that point, Madeleine Masterson tweeted to say Scarborough is very pleasant at this time of year, if we, if we fancied going there. I mean, one of the, issue, one of the issues about it, uh, not, I completely agree with it not being in London. The, the, our problem with that is that uh, so much of the public industry is based in London. And so when they're working with their authors, that tends to be a London-based mm. event. But if we can uh, take it outside of London, that would be very good. Uh, Kate Thacker says you should do it in libraries. Uh, those being threatened with closure, get them some much-needed popularity. Uh, Ermston Bookshop say uh, if you're looking for a venue, you can come here. We'd love to have... Ermston's uh, a lovely part of the world, yes. And this is Mad Blood Stirring is our recommended read. OK, well, so, there you go. Well, you know, let's, <laughs> let's go there straight away. And Susan Metcalf says, yes, please, I'm always happy to hop on a train to London and very lucky to have a bed at my sister's house in Brixton. So basically, Susan is showing a bit of commitment there and is prepared to come to London regardless. Yes, thinking of it as an expedition. Yes, quite uh, right. Yvonne McCoy... Uh, Simon and Matt, it's so wonderful to hear you two reunited on air again. Isn't it? I live in the USA, and yesterday I dropped off my youngest daughter at the university uh, in Chicago. Actually, Northwestern University, Meghan Markle's alma mater, using Meghan as her role model. We are currently looking for a young available prince after she graduates, or a princess. We're quite modern and open-minded. <laughs> anyway, I digress. I knew the 100-mile drive home was going to be a sad one for me. So I saved up your latest podcast to listen to and cheer me up whilst I was on my sad journey home to my empty nest. Thank you both, it did the trick. I arrived home dry-eyed and eager to purchase John Boyne's A Ladder to the Sky. I checked on Amazon. Sorry, WH Smith, but you're not in the US. No. Or I would surely have bought it from you. Check out those stickers. I checked on Amazon only to find it's not available in the US until November. November the 13th, to be precise. Oh, well, I shall have to go back to some of your previous podcasts to see what I can read in the meantime. Keep it up, guys. Love listening to you. Yvonne McCoy, he says, P.S., it's the famous five all the way for me. Good for you. P.P.S., I don't remember Walter the Hot Water Bottle. You're not alone. But I used to remember What a Mess books written by Frank Muir about an Afghan hound puppy... Possibly his, not sure. I used to read this to my kids. I think I may have enjoyed them even more than the kids did. I wish they were still in print. I don't remember that. No, me neither. Uh, Jilly Connor uh, emails to say, just speaking to a lecturer about your new book, Simon, which she didn't know about. She knew you had written children's books. She paused and then said, well, you can tell he's an intellectual because he wears round glasses. Apparently, is that, that's the uh, that's, that, that's, that's how, how you, you can tell That's now, how you it? actually get into university these days. Is it really? No, no, look Rock up with the glasses. Yeah, you're yeah. an intellectual. Good yeah. one. You're in then. In you come. Uh, just to remind you, not you, Matt, because you know about I this. I probably do. Um, that our next show will be with uh, Gary Barlow. Yes, which is interesting because obviously our first show was with Robbie Williams. He was he was yeah. one of the guests, wasn't he? So, uh-huh. um, and actually, there are some interesting parallels, even though they're very different guys. Um, I think there's some crossover mm. areas. Anyway, so look out for our next show, which will feature uh, Gary Barlow. Until then, uh, please keep getting in touch. And uh, if you come across some wonderful writing, uh, send that. Or you can email reviews, email comments, uh, praise, anything telling us how great we are. Give us five-star reviews on iTunes because that helps. Uh, Books of the Year at yahoo.com. Tweet us at Books of the Year. Thanks very much indeed for downloading. 
Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.